You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning to the 10 o'clock. Make sure you're nice to those who walk in at 11 o'clock today, having forgotten to uh, fall back an hour. We're in a series on the Trinity called God in Three. And we're trying to, to, to wrap our minds around the triune nature of, of God. I do want to say thank you to Jeremy last week for preaching an incredible sermon on, on God the Father. So grateful for Jeremy and his word to us. Today we're going to look at God the Son, who is Jesus. Jesus is the most significant person who has lived in, in all of history. We, we divide our calendars by his coming, by his, his birth. Our biggest holidays are devoted to his, his coming and to his resurrection. You think about, about Jesus, more songs are sung to him, more, more paintings of him, more books written about him than anybody else in, in, in all of history. Billions of people in the past and or today are worshiping Jesus as Lord, as God. Jesus once asked his followers, his people, who do you say that I am? I think that may be the most important question you can ever answer in your life. Who do you say Jesus is? Because the, the answer to that question really determines your identity and your destiny. Like who you are and, and where you're going. Our passage today is perhaps the, the richest single section in all of human history regarding God the Son, Jesus the Christ. For you note-takers, you can just write this down maybe as you prepare for, for the day. This passage we're about to read, it stirs our affections for God the Son and causes us to be in awe of God the Son. What this passage we're about to read does not do is just give us some cold information about Jesus. What it does not do is, is cause us somehow to, be, to become indifferent. It was C.S. Lewis who gave us the options about Jesus. He's either a, a liar a lunatic, or he's the Lord. And I'm saying, if he's a liar or a lunatic, go live your life however you want to go live your life. But if he is the Lord, give him your everything. Bow down before him. Love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So take off your floaties. We're diving into the deep end of the swimming pool today. Would you go with me, please, to Colossians chapter 1. The book of Colossians is in the New Testament, 12 books in. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 1, and once you get there, go ahead and keep your Bible open or your device pulled up to that place. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 13 today. And, and we're going to see deeply who God the Son is, who Christ is, Jesus is. Colossians chapter 1 will begin in, in verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, meaning Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil things, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. All of these statements are exclusive to Jesus. True of Jesus and, and nobody else. Let me give you eight things today. I know that sounds like a lot, but it's less than nine. Let me give you eight things today about, about Jesus from, from this passage that I hope will, will awaken our hearts today and stir our affections today for Jesus and cause us to be in awe of God the Son, Jesus the Christ. Here's the first thing we see in this passage. In Jesus, we are purchased and purified. In Jesus, we are purchased and purified. Go back to verse 13. Let me help a little bit with the pronouns here also. He, it means God the Father. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That, of course, is, is Jesus. In whom, the whom there is speaking of Jesus. God the Son, in whom, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, so believers in Christ, listen, this is who we are. Christians are, verse 13, delivered from a domain of, of darkness. Literally, that means the power of darkness or the jurisdiction of, of darkness. It also means the authority of darkness. It means we were removed from that domain. We were removed from that power of darkness. Other words might be used in your translation. I think New American Standard uses the word transferred. I believe that NIV uses the word rescued. Both of those are perfect words. We were, we were transferred out from being in the dark domain. What does it mean to be in the dark domain? It means that we were hopeless. We, we were headed toward death. We were spiritually already dead. It means that we were separated from God. That's the domain of darkness. We were not near his light. Therefore, we were in the domain of darkness, but we have now been transferred into the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the Son. And now, Christian, what this means is we are in Christ and Christ is in us and no one can change that. We are purchased by Jesus. Thus, that word in verse 14, redemption. We are redeemed by Jesus. We are bought back by Jesus. And then our lives were purified of sin, that's that word in verse 14, forgiveness. So Christian, we, we're, we're bought and we're forgiven. Or if you will, we are purchased and we were purified. Two great adjectives of the Christ follower. Secondly, in Jesus, the triune God is made visible. This is exclusive to, to God the Son, exclusive to Jesus. In Jesus, the triune God is made visible. Look at verse 15, just the beginning of verse 15. He, meaning Christ, Again, the pronoun there, speaking of Jesus, God the Son. God the Son is the image of the invisible God, the invisible triune God. So in other words, Jesus accurately reflects God. Jesus is, is the Son. Jesus the Son is the image, the exact representation of God the Father. Maybe a better way to put it would be this. Jesus is the seeable God. He is that mirror that, that accurately reflects I woke up this morning early and I looked at the mirror and it was, it was tragic. Sadly, it looked just like me. 
right? I looked at it and, you know, there were, there were bags under my eyes. The hair that I used to have has gone to be with Jesus now. And my nose is still broken. Like uh, it, 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 it was an accurate reflection of John Durham when I looked in the mirror today. Jesus accurately reflects God the Father. There's no distortion at all, which is why Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse nine, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Everything you need to know, everything you want to know about God the Father is seen in the person and in the work of God the Son, Jesus Christ. It doesn't say here, sometimes it's important to realize what it doesn't say. That's just as important as what it does say. It doesn't say here that Jesus is a good outline of God. It doesn't say here that Jesus gives us a general idea about God. It does not say here that Jesus is even similar to God. No, Jesus isn't an outline of God. He's not just a a general idea about God. Jesus is all God. Jesus is the fullness of God. He is God's exact Image. And so if you want to know what, what God looks like, look at Jesus, like father, like son. Thirdly, Jesus is both creator, don't miss this, also the ruler of creation. Look at verse 15 again, the middle part of verse 15. He is the firstborn of all creation. The word firstborn here means that he has the highest rank. It's not a reference of time. It's not he's the the first person born because really he's not born at all. God was not created. He's existed uncreated before time even began. What it means here is he's the highest of all creation. He is, in Greek here, the the prototakos, which also sounds like a great Mexican food plate, the prototakos. And so we see right here that that he is the ultimate in all of of creation. And in ancient times, In Old Testament times, even in New Testament times, the firstborn in a family. The firstborn in the family meant that 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 firstborn was was the heir. That that firstborn was was the superior one. The firstborn in the family had all the rights of inheritance. The first one born in the family was the one with the privilege and and one with, with the honor. And as a firstborn myself, that sounds about right. Amen to all the firstborns out there. Jesus is both creator, he's the firstborn, which means he he is the ruler of, he's the highest in all of creation. Look what it says in verse 16, what what this Jesus has created. For by him, and that, that pronoun there is Jesus, for by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus made the seen and the unseen, the visible and and the invisible, the the spiritual realm and the natural realm, the things that are tangible, the things that are intangible. It's all created by Jesus. We see Jesus here as creator, verse 16, of, of all things. In fact, it mentions it twice in verse 16. All things at the beginning, all things there in the middle. All things were created, all things were created. I mean, let me just ask you this question. Which is mightier? The creator or, or the creation? Well, of course, it's the, it's the creator. For he wields the power to, to create. So let me just step back here on point number three and give you something really practical maybe to hold on to uh, for these coming days. Practically, this means Jesus first in our lives. Like how can you take this type of sermon and, and bring it to this week and bring it to tomorrow morning, bring it to a Monday? It, it is living a life where Jesus is First, Jesus is first in our relationships. Jesus is first in our marriages. Jesus is first in our family, in our finances, in our calendar. Jesus is first in our thoughts. Jesus is first in our motivations. Jesus is first in our free time. 
kind of like a compass, right? Like a compass doesn't help you until, until that compass establishes true north. And then everything orients itself around the true north point of that compass. It's the same with Jesus first. When Jesus is first in our life, he is preeminent in our life. He is supreme in our life. Everything else will orient itself around Christ as first. Fourthly, Jesus' attributes show that, that he is God. Again, not just partially God, but he is God. Look at verse 17. These are the attributes that they give proof to us today through Scripture that Jesus is God. Verse 17 says, He is, meaning Jesus is before all things, and in Him, in God the Son, in Christ, all things hold together. So first of all, He is before all things, which means Jesus is eternal. He has always been. Whatever exists now, whatever has ever existed, Jesus was before even that. He is before all things. He is not, again, let me say, He is not the, the, the created it would be false theology, false doctrine to think that Jesus first came on the scene in Bethlehem. Jesus has always been. He is not the created. He is the creator. This means Jesus is not just a man. And many in our country today, many in our city today might say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a moral example to us. Scripture does not really give us the, the opportunity just to merely call him a man or a good teacher or, or a moral standard. It is saying here in verse 17, when Scripture tells us, verse 17, that Jesus is before all things, it only means one thing, and that is that he is God. Not mere mortal, not just a good teacher who just lived solely within a 33-year window 2,000 years ago. He was alive before creation. And listen, Jesus Christ is alive today, and Jesus Christ will be alive forevermore. Verse 17, all things, it says, all things are held together by Jesus. See, this is not deism. Deism says that, that God made the world, and he made all the natural laws of the world, and he just backed off. And he pulled away. That, that's not what's happening here at all. Jesus not only creates, he then, this is so important, he sustains all that he creates. So he creates all things and he's holding all things together. He sustains everything that he creates. Let's, let's, let's sing a song together. Some of you look a little tired. I just saw three or four yawns over here to my left. I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's an exhausting day. You, you've lost an hour of sleep. I mean, I'm not sure how you're going to make it the rest of this year, honestly. You've missed, you've missed an hour of sleep. So let's, let's sing a song together, and maybe that will kind of, kind of wake us up a little bit. But this song has to do with point number four, that Jesus' attributes show that he is God. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I think you're going to know the song. If you grew up in church, you'll definitely know the song. You'll probably remember it as a Vacation Bible School song. If you don't know the song, you'll probably catch on to it very quickly. But here's the deal. I'm going to start the song and you better jump in when I start singing this song. This is not going to be a solo time at all. You just pick whatever key you want to sing it in. It'll be perfectly fine. We'll just kind of all blend together. But here's how it goes. You ready? Are you, ready? Are you going to sing it with me? You want to clear your voice? <clears throat> Can I get ready? Okay. Somebody just sit up, get some good singing posture going on. There you go. Okay, just join in with me. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. That's great theology. A little repetitive on the lyrics, but it's great theology. <laughs> that everything Jesus has created, he is also sustaining. He is also 
holding together. And I don't know about you, but immediately my mind thinks about the universe and all the stars, all the planets, but let's just bring this back home. This also means since you were created, Jesus is holding you together. Everything he has created, he is also sustaining. Number five, Jesus is the authority over all who are in Christ. This is so important to see this attribute of God the Son. Jesus is the authority over all who are in Christ. Look at verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. I know it is fashionable today to be anti-church. I know it's fashionable today to be church critical. I, I read Twitter. I, I see what people are saying. But, but we should love the church, not only because it's the bride of Christ, but also because Christ is the head of the church. Jesus loves the church. He died for the church. He is in covenantal love. He is devoted to the church. This does not mean the church is perfect. Highland is not perfect. But a perfect Jesus in his perfect time will perfect us. Jesus is just pumping his life into the church. He's bringing direction to the church from his word. So there's no higher authority in the church, in the body of Christ, than Jesus himself. He is the head. Listen, he is the head and there are no equals. I am not vying to be the head of the church. The elders of Highland are not in competition to be the heads of, of, of the church. There's no staff member that's the head of the church. There's no one here today that is the head of the church. Jesus Christ alone is the head of the church. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So when we became a, a Christian, listen, Christians in, in the house today, when we became believers in Christ, not only were we saved, we also entered in under his kingship. This is probably another implication of verse 13. We were transferred out of a domain of darkness and now brought into this brand new kingdom. If you have a kingdom, you also have a king. So the church is not an organization. It's not, it's not a building. It's, it's his kingdom. So you, Christian, you are the church. You are in the kingdom. And Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our authority. Listen, Jesus is our king. And I said this two weeks ago, this has radical and pervasive implications. If you have been transferred by God from a domain of hopelessness, a domain of, of death, a domain of separation, and now you've been taken as a passive agent into this brand new kingdom, the kingdom of the Son, Jesus Christ, it now means that we have a king. And I don't think we say this enough in church. We always want to get out of hell free card from Jesus, but when it comes to him being our king, our Lord, the boss, the ruler. Now in this kingdom, we have a, a king. So in other words, the schedule that you have planned this week is not your schedule. It should be God's schedule. This week ahead is not your week. It's, it's God's week. These gifts that you're going to operate in this week, they're not your gifts. The gifts belong to God. It's not your week ahead. It's, it's God's week ahead. It's not your mind. It's God's mind. It's not your body. It's God's body. It's not your breath. It's his breath. It's not your story. It's his story. It's not your life. It's his. Be a very appropriate time to give you a good quote by A.W. Tozer right here. Here it is. To urge men and women to believe in a divided Christ is bad teaching. No one can receive half a Christ or a third of Christ or a quarter of the person of Christ. He is Lord, and those who refuse him as Lord cannot use him as Savior. I think what Tozer is saying is if you're hoping that 
Jesus would just get you out of hell, but you have no intention whatsoever of obeying him, you have the wrong Jesus. Sixth, Jesus is preeminently resurrected. Look at verse 18. This is an amazing thing about about Christ. He is the beginning. He's the firstborn from, from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. It says here he's the firstborn from the dead. That does not mean he was the first resurrected in, in world history, in biblical history. In fact, there's three resurrections in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you have the, the, the widow's son, uh, the widow of Zarephath's son. You have the Shemunat woman's son. And then you have that guy who was raised from the dead at Elisha's, Elisha's funeral, Elisha's grave. So you have three resurrections in, in the Old Testament. You have three resurrections in the New Testament even before you get to the resurrection of Jesus. You have the young boy there at Nain, you have Jairus' daughter who is raised back from the dead, and of course the most familiar one, Lazarus. So really Jesus was not the first to be resurrected. He's number seven in the Bible, but he is, if you will, from the, from the scripture here, he's the highest rank of all who have been raised or will be raised from the dead. So we're not talking about him being the first to be raised from the dead, but of all who've ever been raised or whoever will be raised, he is the supreme one raised from the dead. Why is that important? Because his resurrection is a guarantee of our resurrection. Our resurrection into eternal life. And it says here in scripture, he is preeminent. In other words, there's there's no one like him. He is above all. He is supreme. Seventh, Jesus is fully, 100% God. Look at verse 19 with me. For in him... In Christ, all the fullness of God, God the Father, the triune God, was pleased to dwell in him. So Jesus, have you noticed this? Jesus is the only founder of any major world religion who claimed to be God. And and they killed him for it. But he came back and said, loose translation, I told you so. Like, I am God. I am the one who can raise myself from, from the dead. So all of God, his fullness, the fullness of the triune God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. What does that mean, pleased to dwell? It means that God was happy. God was right at home to dwell in Christ. The fullness of God, right at home to dwell in, in Christ. Jesus Christ is God. And this is so important for our understanding of the Trinity, this, this triune nature of God. All of God into all of Christ. This is what it says in verse 19. The fullness of God in him. So important to understand the the, the Trinity, the triune nature of God. Jesus the Son is 100% God. God the Father is 100% God. God the Spirit is 100% God. Thus the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, but there is one God. Number eight. Lastly, Jesus alone is our cross-bearer. This is not true, by the way, Highland, of God the Father. This is not true of God the Spirit. This is only true of God the Son. Jesus alone is our cross-bearer. Let's pick it up in verse 20. Actually, go back to verse 19. For in him, in Christ, I'll help again with the pronouns here. For in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself, back to God the Father, all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, the cross of Jesus, God the Son, and you, this is the beginning of Highland. 
you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, you, you were doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body, God has now reconciled in the body of Christ, the body of his flesh, by Christ's death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, before God the Father. See, it was God the Son uniquely, not, not God the Father, not God the Spirit, who bore the cross. Jesus alone is our cross bearer. And we see in this passage right here a lot of our biographies in this room. We were separated. Verse 21 uses the word alienated from God. Our relationship with God was severed by our sin. The word used here in verse 21 in the ESV is our evil deeds. And we needed to be, verse 22, reconciled. We needed, be, we needed to be brought back to relationship with God. We didn't have a relationship with God because we had declared war on God. We had declared war on God by our own sin. R.C. Sproul calls it cosmic treason. Like we had committed cosmic treason against God. We were treasonous against God. We had declared war on him by our own sin. And the only way we can have peace is if God deals with this treason. And he does when Jesus goes to the cross to bear the penalty of our cosmic treason. And here's what happens. This is, if you haven't heard anything else, been sleepy the whole time, please, please don't, don't miss this. Jesus goes to the cross to turn enemies into family. We were the enemies. We are the ones who had committed this cosmic treason. We are the ones who had done all these evil deeds, verse 21. We are the ones, verse 21, who were alienated. We are the ones, verse 22, who were in need of reconciliation to be brought back to God. And he has done this through the sacrifice of the Son, Jesus. Uh, another participation. Made sure I did this on time, time change Sunday. You, you can raise your hand for this one, okay? In fact, if you would, could agree and think about um, this answer, and you would agree with this answer, you can just, you can lift your hand, right? So I'm gonna lift my hand. Uh, how many of y'all would be willing to die for a family member? Just, just, just lift your hand. Just keep it up for a second of mine. Yeah, me too. Like I would lay my life down for my wife, Jennifer. I'd lay my life down for my, my daughter, Hannah. I think I'd lay my life down for my son-in-law, Kyle. I think I would. <laughs> just being really honest here. I would lay my life down for my son, Caleb. I would lay my life down for my daughter-in-law, Alyssa. I would definitely lay my life I mean, without even thinking about it, for my two granddaughters. Like, zero hesitation. Okay, you can, you can put your, your hand down. How about this question? And let me just give you a little upfront. I'm not going to raise my hand on this one. How many of you would, would, would lay your life down for an enemy, someone who despised you? I mean, not, not me. I wouldn't lay my life down for someone who hated me and had done evil things to my family or evil things to me. And yet, Highland, this is the story of the gospel. That Jesus volunteered in heaven to lay his life down for the enemies of God. What a savior we have in Jesus. So when you review this passage in Colossians chapter one, there's really only two options. Really, there's only, there's only two options to this passage. Either you're gonna have to look to Jesus and say, no, thank you. I, I don't believe you're real. I don't believe your love is real. You either have to say no to Jesus or you have to fall at his feet and worship him. Scripture doesn't give us a third way. Either reject him fully or love him completely. 
either yawn in his direction and live your own life or call him Lord and follow him all the days of your life. That is scripturally our only option is that we have to be bored with him or to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Either tell this Jesus yes or tell this Jesus no, but you can't tell a king like this maybe. Have we been so consumed with needing him as a savior that we have forgotten he also calls himself the Lord. Would you stand with me please for us to pray together? We are grateful today, God, for this word you have delivered to your people for us to know about God the Son, Jesus the Christ. Jesus, thank you that through your body, through your cross, through your death, you made enemies your family. You made enemies your friends. You were before time began. You are alive today. You will be alive forevermore. And we recognize you today as, as the exact representation of God. Not less than God, not not a part of God, not partially God, but fully God. Which means we're going to have to fully follow you. Which means we can fully trust you. Which means we want to fully love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, body, strength. Jesus, you alone are our cross bearer. We were separated. We were alienated. We, we, were, we were living out these evil deeds against you. We needed to be reconciled. And then you transferred us from that domain of hopelessness, that domain of, of separation. And again, as passive agents, we were taken to a brand new kingdom. A kingdom of, of light and of belonging, of hope, of redemption, of forgiveness. We are, we are purchased people and we are purified people and we praise you because of that today. Through, through Jesus, God the Son, empowered by the Spirit, we pray to God the Father. Amen. So what, what would you do with this passage about God the Son today? I mean, certainly this week we can realize that it's not our week, it's his week. It's not our life, it's his life. It's not our story, it's, it's his story. But maybe I'd invite you to, even these next few moments, to respond to this passage. We're going to sing two songs. You have plenty of time to do this. Maybe you'd want to come and just kneel before the Lord and just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being my cross bearer. Thank you that you saved me. And, and I want to make sure that I'm also recognizing you and acknowledging you as, as the Lord, the King of my life. Not, not just my Savior, but my King also. We'll have some staff members here at the front. Maybe you want to come forward and, and pray with a staff member and just say, here's how to pray for me. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm going through. Would you, would you join me in, in, in prayer? Or again, the option is there to walk right past the staff who's here at the front and just come and, and kneel before the King. I can't think of much better postures before the King than just kneeling before Him. So come and kneel, come and pray. Well, let's worship the King for, for all that He is.
but all that he is worth.